Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, coming at you with some more ghostly tales of terror. Welcome back to the show, and I thank you for tuning in yet again for some more creepy tales. Before we get started, as always, I want to invite you to my website, myhaunteddolls.com. And there you can shop. You can go to the shop link and buy my books that I've published with my ghost stories and scary stories and the books about the haunted items I've collected over the years. And also there's a link on the website to my Redbubble store where you can buy t-shirts with the My Haunted Dolls logo and images, with really, really cool images with the My Haunted Dolls logos, including some of the pictures of the dolls themselves. And also there's there are t-shirts now for this show the haunted collection out there now if you'd like to get yourself one of those or you can get these images on any other merchandise out there they've got hats coffee mugs shower curtains (laughs) bath mats dresses comforters for your bed throw pillows just all kinds of things out there phone protectors ipad covers just all kinds of things with the My Haunted Dolls, and now the Haunted Collection logos and images on them. And I hope you enjoy those and that you'll go out there and buy and show your support for the show and for MyHauntedDolls.com. And speaking of that, please visit our YouTube channel, My Haunted Dolls, youtube.com forward slash My Haunted Dolls, and you can follow, be sure to subscribe, You'll be able to watch the videos of actual investigations I've done with the haunted items in my collection, as well as some of the place, a few of the places I've been to. In fact, this weekend we'll be back at the Homewood Public Library here near Birmingham, Alabama, to do a public investigation. So I should be uploading videos of that this weekend as well. So be sure to follow and subscribe and hit that bell so you can get notified when it's uploaded. And now back to our show here. I've got two pretty scary stories. And then this is probably going to be the only show this month because my elderly father is getting surgery on his knee next week. So uh, I will be caregiving for him at least for two to three weeks I will be AWOL. So if things work out, I might have an episode posted by the end of this month. If not, I will see you in August. So with that said, let's get on with our show here, this first story. I believe I have um, uh, two or three years ago I shared a version of this story, maybe longer. I believe, I can't swear to it. But even if I did, this is a a different version here, and I still love the story. It's very creepy if you're ever out walking alone at nighttime. 
uh, and you hear those noises, you know, the crickets chirping and rustling in the wind. And What was that, a footstep you heard coming behind you? Or is that a figure you see ahead on the path? Well, let's see what happens in this story. It's called Meeting on the Road. When Gabriel Fisher left the White Bull Tavern, it was already quite dark. Perhaps he had a bit more to drink than usual, but he had his wits about him, and he knew the walk home would sober him up nicely. On his journey home, he was accompanied by his dog, Trotty, which, true to its name, trotted along beside him. At that time of night, the road was empty and extremely quiet. Both man and dog had reached about the halfway point in the journey home when Fisher heard a high-pitched scream. He was startled, even frightened. Trotty began to whine. Fisher peered into the gloom to see if he could locate the source of the scream. In the distance, he could see a figure walking slowly. As, as he got closer, he could just make out that it was a woman wearing a cloak and a large bonnet. It must have been the woman who screamed. But why? And what was she doing walking alone on a deserted road at this time of night? As Fisher pondered these questions, he drew closer to the figure. The closer they got, the more unhappy that Trotty became until finally the dog just turned tail and ran away. Fisher's shouts of commands could not bring him back. When Fisher drew up alongside the woman, he saw that she was carrying a large, cloth-covered market basket on her arm. Her head was bowed and completely concealed by the bonnet. Fisher asked the woman if she was all right and if it was she who he had heard screaming. Her answers came muffled, so he could not make them out, for they seemed to come from far away. But the tone of the voice was pleasant and almost hypnotically attractive. They walked side by side for a short time, and then Gabriel Fisher, remembering his manners, asked the woman if he might carry the basket for her. She handed him the basket. As he hooked his arm into the handle, came her reply, Oh, you're much too kind. 
it was followed by a laugh. A light, bubbling laugh, but one that contained an unpleasant hint of mockery. What was the most puzzling, however, was that the voice and laugh did not seem to come from the woman. He turned to look at her more closely, but she was looking away, apparently examining something on the side of the road. And again came that laugh, more, lo- more mockingly this time, and definitely not from the woman. The laugh was coming from the basket he carried on his arm. Horrified, Fisher flung the basket away. It hit the ground, bounced, and something rolled out onto the road. A woman's head. Fisher whirled about to face his companion. She was standing directly beside him now and finally turned toward him. Her bonnet had been thrown back onto her shoulders, revealing most horribly that she had no head. The figure's shoulder shook as if she were laughing, but the sound of the laughter issued from the mouth of the head on the ground. After a second or two in which he was too paralyzed with fear to do anything, Fisher took off running down the road, faster than he had ever run before. He looked back just long enough to see the figure of the woman, now holding the head in her hand, fleeing the dreadful object directly at him. It was a mighty toss, for the head struck the earth near him, bounced up of its own accord, and flew past him. Its eyes were glittering, and its teeth were snapping dangerously. The head then rolled near his feet, still snapping like an angry dog. Fisher very nearly fell over it. He now became aware that the body, the headless body, was also running up the road, and it was gaining on him. Then the terrified man saw a small stream. Somewhere in the back of his mind, he remembered a bit of folklore that he had heard as a child. He had been told that a ghost could not cross moving water. He immediately splashed through the stream and kept on running until he reached the top of a hill. Too exhausted to take another step, Gabriel Fisher stopped and looked back. There on the other side of the stream stood the headless woman. At its feet rolled the head, its eyes blazing, 
screaming with fury at having been deprived of its victim. The horrible sight gave Fisher new strength, and he started running again. This time, he ran all the way home. There, he was greeted by the still trembling Trotty and by his wife, who was not very sympathetic when he told her his story. She replied that it appeared to take a headless woman to get him to learn the value of coming home early. When he repeated the tale to his neighbors, they tended to laugh and hint that he was pulling their leg, or perhaps that he had been drunk at the time. But in fact, no one who heard the story was ever known to venture along that particular stretch of road at night anymore. And many would even not go down it even in the daytime. That's always been one of my favorite headless ghost stories. And you know a place has got to really be creepy if people refuse to even go down it during the daytime, in the daylight hours. So, I don't know where that story actually took place exactly, if it was Europe or here in America. It's told in both countries and probably other parts of the world, so who knows where it really came from. So to be on the safe side, I would say don't get caught walking alone outside at nighttime. <laughs> ah, and now the next story, and last story of this episode, The Bandaged Horror. In July of 1884, three survivors from the wreck of the British yacht Pirot were found floating in a battered dinghy in the Atlantic by a yacht called Jellert. The men had been adrift for almost a month and were near death from starvation and exposure. At first, the three men, who were Captain Edward Rutt, his mate Josh Dudley, and seaman Will Hoon, said that they were the only ones to have escaped the sinking. But hidden under a tarpaulin was the body of another member of the crew, 18-year-old seaman Dick Tomlin. More appalling still was evidence that the young man's body had been partially eaten. Cannibalism, while horrifying, was not unknown among starving, shipwrecked survivors. The question for the crew of the Gellert was 
How did Tomlin die? At first, the three survivors said that they decided to eat their young shipmate only after he had died of natural causes. But a close examination of the body determined that he had died not from natural causes, but from a knife wound in the neck. As soon as that discovery was made, the whole story came out. The four survivors had been adrift for 25 days, and death from starvation seemed inevitable when Captain Rutt made a desperate suggestion. Lots should be drawn to determine which of the four would be killed and eaten. Dudley and Hoon agreed to the suggestion. Tomlin, however, protested that he would rather die than become a cannibal. That answer sealed his fate. At the first opportunity, Rutt stabbed the boy. They were rescued by the jeller four days after the killing. Once they returned to England, Rutt, Dudley, and Hoon were tried for murder and condemned to death. But the Home Secretary decided that the circumstances under which the murder had been committed were so extreme that he commuted the death sentence to a mere six months' imprisonment. As it turned out, he did not do the three men a favor. When the men were freed from jail, they found themselves shunned by almost everyone. Their names were well known among sailors, and they could not find work on any ship in England. Josh Dudley got a job as a drayman handling large wagons used to haul freight. Two weeks after he started work, his horses saw something that frightened them in the middle of a foggy London street. They bolted and tossed Dudley to the cobblestone streets where he struck his head and received a fatal wound. Witnesses said that just before the accident they had seen a strange figure standing in the street. It looked, they said, like a man swathed from head to foot in blood-stained bandages, like a mummy. But with the fog, they could not be sure. Immediately after the accident, the figure vanished. Captain Rudd heard of his former mate's death and became badly frightened. He sought out the third survivor, Will Hoon. But the old seaman had been virtually destroyed by his experiences. He had become a hopeless drunk and was living in poverty and squalor in one of London's worst slums. Rutt tried to convince Hoon 
that they were being pursued by a relative of Dick Tomlin bent on vengeance. It was this, not the young man's ghost, that was the danger to them, he said. But Hoon was almost beyond caring. A short time later, he was taken off to the charity hospital where he died in a violent alcoholic fit. Witnesses at the hospital said that another patient, covered in bandages, had been holding the wildly screaming and thrashing hoon, thrashing him down, apparently, to keep him from injuring himself. No one was sure who the bandaged patient was. Rutt was now absolutely terrified. A relative or ghost, someone was out to get him, of that he was sure. He went to the police for protection, but they just laughed at his story. Still, in view of the former captain's obvious fear, they offered to lock him up. It was an offer Rutt gratefully accepted. He was put into a cell in a section of the prison used for the violently mentally ill. It was a part of the prison where screams in the night were a common occurrence. But there was something different about the screams that began coming from Rutt's cell at about three in the morning. The warders immediately unlocked the door, but they were too late. The former captain lay in the corner, his knees drawn up to his chest, his hands crossed. He was dead. But most shocking of all, they found shreds of blood-stained linen clutched in his dead hand. some really good stories and I enjoyed telling them and sharing them with you. Unfortunately that comes to the end of our episode this time and hopefully I will see you maybe at the end of the month of July this month unless I'm still caregiving and then it might be early August before I can post a a new episode as all of my time is focused on helping my dad to get uh, through the recovery from his surgery. So, while I am gone, behave yourselves. Be sure to keep those doors and windows locked. Be sure to watch out for any creepy shadows or mysterious figures on the road. 
Any bandaged, bloody strangers that might come sliding by. Don't forget to go to myhaunteddolls.com and shop our Redbubble store as well. And, as always, have a happy haunting. (laughs) 